Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Uh, good morning, everyone. Hello. Uh, hooray. How's it going out there in listener land? I hope you're having a fantastic day. Uh, because today we're talking about uh, one of one of the coolest dudes in horror. I don't know what am I. What is this introduction I'm doing? We're talking about uh, the latest, the return, the return of the king. Uh, we're talking about the Lord of the Rings of horror. We're talking about Cronenberg. Uh, I am. I am. I don't know. Insert Lord of the Rings reference here. Joined as always by my co-host, second Lord of the Rings reference. How's it going, John? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I've got to be honest. This is maybe one of the weirder intros we've ever had for the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, but, it you know, gets weirdly, there. weirdly fitting. Um, I am enjoying a, a delicious, a delicious snack, which lots of other people have tried and have collapsed on the ground, screaming in pain. Um, some mm-hmm. delicious ooze, uh, and I Great. am very excited to talk about. Uh, the history of performance art in the 20th century. <laughs> I'm so happy that we're talking about a spiritual sequel to one of Cronenberg's earlier films, The Fly. So this is going to be great. Uh, really excited for that. Uh, it is indeed. We we are talking <laughs> about... Um, we're talking about uh, just really how important it is to make sure that all of your technology gets regular software updates. Um, mm, that's very important. Yeah, otherwise you won't be able to digest food anymore. Uh, which and you know maybe in the future there'll be some sort of crimes. There'll be there'll be crimes in the future. Um, that's what we're doing. That's what we're talking about. And um, I am I am I am on the edge of my seat uh, in excitement. The edge of my weird uh, my weird spider chair that I sit in while shifting around uncomfortably whilst recording this podcast um, to hear you explain to to me and everyone listening uh, what the latest David Cronenberg feature, Crimes of the Future, is about. So, so listeners, uh, John and I, John and I have made a little arrangement with this pricey. Uh Before recording, John wrote down uh, what he believes the subject matter that kicks off the Precy will be about. So in about uh, five or so minutes here, we'll find out. We'll find out the veracity of these predictions. The history of the curb cut, or the dropped curb in the UK, dates back to the 1930s in England and the 1940s here in the States. The curb cut is a term for that little ramp that allows a raised walkway to seamlessly join with the street below. Depending on where in the world you're listening from, this technology was either first deployed to help people pushing prams navigate city streets, or to help injured veterans maintain post-war employment. However, this technological change quickly demonstrated new, unpredicted potentials. If you've ever been pushing a cart, a hand truck, or just hauling boxes, the curb cut will have saved you effort and reduced your likelihood of injury. A similar sentiment can be made for tactile paving and audible street crossing signs. All of these advances are prosthesis. They are a way of augmenting the human body, as is with external devices. A prosthetic isn't just limited to an artificial leg or your glasses, but instead it is any and everything that augments the flesh. 
If a prosthetic augments an impaired aspect of our bodies, then the locus of prosthesis can never be settled. We are constantly redefining and adjusting the scope of fleshly impairment, and the technologies we invent to fulfill this augmentation again innovate the flesh they were created to adapt. Our bodies do not exist external to our technologies, but within them. It is not possible for humans, as we exist today, to create something that is, quote, outside of the body. A recent report from the American Lung Association states that over half of Americans are living in places with unhealthy levels of air pollution. Microplastics now have free reign within our blood. Self-driving cars are given carte blanche to render our bodies into traumatically rearranged pastes. Again, there is no act of creation that is external to the human form. The great act of artistry in Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future is not some ability to depict the new or to even dream up something fanciful. It is merely to make our current condition literal. We are already eating plastic. Our experimental surgeries are extrapolated by one layer of personalized vehicles, military incursions, and child factory labor. We're numb to that pain and disease, not through a surge of biogenesis, but through an anhedonic capitalistic productivity. In the world in which we find ourselves, we are all industrial byproducts. We are fuel, fodder, grease, and gears. I still can't tell if this is one of the most bleak movies I've ever seen or one of the most hopeful. Everything this movie has to say has been said since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. We're still coughing up blood at the looms, shuffling pay stubs and losing ground to an impending doom. 300 years of placation through workplace safety theater and maybe a future wherein we can answer for our collective crimes is the best thing we can hope for. I usually end these praises pointing towards hope, but the collective organs behind this body are temporarily numbed. A lighthouse changing its light, we find a way forward being blazed. We should come to expect moments where the Nihil is a deceptive respite. Share in our organs as we discuss Cronenberg's crimes of the future. Did you did you predict that today's pricey would be about sidewalk design? <laughs> um, no, but I okay, but I was thinking, I was thinking that you were going to talk about um the prosthesis. There we go. Okay, cool, cool. So I'll, ta- I'll was, take that. I'll take I was, that. I was not, I was, weirdly, I was not far away. <laughs> partial credit, partial credit. <laughs> um, I was really, I was really I, hoping that the lead in for that one would have been, would have been hard to predict and I got my wish. Uh, but we will, we will get more into the prosthesis and the philosophy of the prosthesis um, as we, we go through uh, the, 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 our shared, our shared body that is this podcasting space um (laughs) where would you like to begin well i think a good place to start would be to start with what is really the new sex in my opinion and that's the formalism zone the formalism zone and i know i know that the thing, the thing in this movie, the thing we should talk about first is is the man, the myth, the legend, David Cronenberg. Uh, can we talk about how this is maybe one of his? I think like, one of his least successful films, if you look at it solely from the point of view of like um, box office ROI. Oh yeah, yeah, 
So it was like they gave him thirty five, like thirty five million dollars, um, and uh, it made like four and a half million at the box office. And I'm like, don't care, worth it, worth every single cent. <laughs> I do, I do not care. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And this is this is, I think, a, a broader point we can make about film criticism in general. But the idea of box office success is a, it's 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 a pox upon every single arena of film discussion right like the, the that box office actually means anything about a film it it is less it is sub meaningless right like it it negates meaning that a film could have to discuss its box office and i know i mention all the time that horror movies have a great roi but i meant but like specifically in the context of like you can spend almost nothing on a horror movie and be guaranteed to make money which opens up a material space where horror gets to be a little bit more creative than let's say like a billion dollar Disney movie um, because the risk is lower for companies. So they care less about what's going on with their money. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts uh, on, on Cronenberg's kind of formal qualities as a filmmaker? I can see why this movie was quote unquote, the least successful you know, from, from that ROI perspective, even though I like, I disagree with that, but I could see how this movie is hard to market and sell in 2023 because by like contemporary 2023 standards, this isn't really a horror movie anymore. You know, it's, it's too slow. There are no jump scares. It's very brooding. It's very dark. Most of our shots are just kind of like static shots of a couple people talking in a room. Yeah. Like this, this is not, a Blumhouse movie. This is not an A24 film. And I think most people anticipating a horror release would have Blumhouse movies are frantic, right? The camera's always snapping around. There are jump scares soaked every 30 seconds to keep your heart rate up. And A24 movies and this is this is like a coin toss whether or not it's successful. They're very like they're they're they're, they're kind of like intentionally artistic films in quotes there. And so you can you can watch any A24 movie and then turn out a thousand word article about how it's profound somehow. Um, much harder to do either of those things, I think, with Crimes of the Future. It kind of resists both of the dominant strains of horror of our day. It's true. Um, in a way, it's a very kind of... Tr- it, it, it's a sort of... In its formal composition, I think it's a bit of a throwback to um, a, a something... A filmmaking style which is seen as old-fashioned. Like... The thing that I wrote in my notes is that it it is beautifully composed. Mm-hmm. Shots are framed well. The lighting is is great. The set design and costuming is so good. You can hear uh, the fucking actors. You can hear them. Yeah, even though Mortensen especially is basically in a kind of cocoon of his own costume for much of the film. Yeah. Oh, God. And you're so right about the lighting too. Like this movie is like... It's a joy to watch because it's competently made and it sucks that I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, there's like so so many moments where like bec- Mortensen's costumed in all black most of the time, wearing wearing a face mask and a, uh, and a full hood. And he's framed and shot in, and lit in, in such a way that he often appears as just like a pair of eyes or like the mm. top half of his face. And he sort of vanishes in certain scenes where light kind of moves around him. And it's just... All of it is so elegantly, carefully composed. Um, 
this is yeah. If you if you listen to our best of the year, this was my favorite film of 2022. Mm-hmm. And watching watching it again, I was just like, yeah, there are so many reasons why. Oh, t- totally, totally. I I 100% agree with that. That this movie is just wildly refreshing. Like while I was watching this, I I was thinking of like just kind of the bygone age of horror and this isn't to say i mean like we talk about a lot of great new horror cinema that's come out over the last few years but i think we're still missing something we're we're, we're still missing like artistry on this level in a lot of new releases like this is this is a cut above so much of everything that's come out in the last like 10 years or so um yeah I, i i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more um i guess i guess it's worth asking could we consider this climate change cinema well i I think absolutely i think this film on a very formal level it's it's a it's a movie literally about the industrial disaster that is the the present condition of earth you know like the single largest if there is a civilization after us that gets to do neat things like history and retrospectives the, the, they will look back upon the industrial revolution as the single greatest like industrial disaster of human history with with a body count that like will only be calculable thousands of years after the end of this shit show and I that's mean, i think I, this movie's meditation on <laughs> yeah but but the film is i think the ending of this film is really interesting I, actually the structurally this film is a kind of like uh, pa- has a kind of parabolic arc, um, you know, with Brecken, the young child who dies at the beginning, and what happens at the end, and the meaning of those of the ending and the beginning in the context of everything that happens in the middle. I think complicates some of the things that you. I don't. I don't disagree, but I. I think it's going to be really interesting when we dig into whether this film is hopeful or not. Oh, we're going to have a lot of fun there. <laughs> And, and I think another thing that kind of speaks to the environmental nature of this film that I found to be really compelling is, is so in most like, you know, when we say like, quote unquote, like uh, ecological horror, the eco-gothic environmental cinema, we're, we're thinking of like environmental catastrophe movies, movies about giant tsunamis, massive flooding, the earth freezing over. And I, I think this this movie invites us to reframe that, right? This is this is a vision of a still and lifeless Earth, you know. Like we we have so many visions of the seaside, and it's just littered with these, you know, it's a it's a dry, barren ocean with these deserted ships. You know, the seas have evaporated somehow in this film. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is that we're often presented um, the apocalypse as like an as a capital E event. Mm-hmm. Which has a discrete yeah. chronology, chronology and teleology, right? You can identify the point at which you can identify the point that is the beginning of the end, mm-hmm. right? But I, I think you're so right. This is not a film that seems to think that way. Actually, the apocalypse is something you live through necessarily. And I think I think that what we're used to is kind of a positive apocalypse, and not positive in the moralistic sense, but positive in the sense that there, there's an overabundance of stuff in the eco gothic. There's a there's a flooding or, an, or a breaching of the natural, and in this, like there there's just an absence. There's a slow draining away. This is kind of negative eco gothic. Yeah, 
yeah, a sort of um but but I, I it's it's so well done and there are so many kind of interesting ideas shot through this. But before we get into that too much, maybe we can talk a little about the 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 big Cronenbergian uh formal thing is the mix of or the reliance of on practical effects. And you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, I suppose, talking about Cronenberg movie, but like what do you think about the effects work in this? I mean, to get the obvious thing out of the way, it's brilliant. It's Cronenberg doing body horror, so the effects work is going to be unmatched by anything. You know, even Cronenberg's, you know, even if we accept this as Cronenberg's, quote, worst film, right? Like, it's the the body horror and the visuals in this are still better than, like, 90% of other horror movies. It's Um, Cronenberg. Yeah. (laughs) This idea of, like, uh, I love the gamer chair. I, I love oh the game chat yes. so much. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's, it's quite clearly, it's all filmed in one giant warehouse somewhere in Toronto. Um, <laughs> a kind of sad, sad detail is that it's the very first Cronenberg film not to have his sister, Denise Cronenberg, working as the costume designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, this is solely because uh, she passed away in 2020, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's great. I think it's great. I'm going to try I'm going to try not to gush too much about it, but it's it's amazing. It's one of the films that I think has has of the last year which has stuck in my head the most. I can definitely see why. So one thing one thing I said before we started recording that that caused a bit of a stir over here was I referred to this as one of the most restrained Cronenberg movies and I, I think it is. I, I think this is, if you compare this with like The Fly or Videodrome, and, and I don't mean restrained in a bad way, but restrained in a, Cronenberg is associated with a certain type of special effects excess, let's say, and this movie really reels that back in. What are your thoughts? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree, but I think in a way this is, this is the, logical progression of a, a huge amount of his f- previous filmography uh it like there's so many key references and like key things that link back to previous films uh in a way that kind of ties i, I described this on twitter as like the apotheosis of cronenberg's mm-hmm. kind of th- themes and interests um uh and I think there is a restraint, but I like the closest comparison to me is for me is not Videodrome. Probably the closest companion is something like Dead Ringers. I was going to say Dead Ringers of the Brood. Uh, I almost feel a little apt here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I was I was thinking about that restraint as... Because this is the next thing we're going to talk about, but there are two Cronenberg movies called Crimes of the Future. <laughs> and this movie is not a sequel to the first Crimes of the Future. And if you ask Cronenberg, it's unrelated to that film, um, which we'll have fun talking about in just a second. But for me, well, as I was watching this, I saw this as a direct sequel to Videodrone. Uh, in the sense that Videodrone is all about the emergence of this new flesh, this kind of heretical sect that that has new bodies and new organs and they're rupturing in the kind of stasis field of humanity but what what would happen if that really happened in our world that wouldn't that wouldn't upend society that would just be subsumed into capital 
right? You you wouldn't you wouldn't wake up one day to a brave new world and everyone's running around with Akira bodies. You would wake up and some company would sell you a gamer chair made out of flesh to to augment a, a body that you know the overarching hegemonic structure says is dying and fragile and and ailing. You know, it would be devoured and consumed again by the by the greatest act of body horror, contemporary capital. And this, and then like what happens later? Everything dries out. Everything's dissipated. Everything's wiz- withered and and desiccated. And like, yeah, I don't know. Like this this movie felt like an attenuated video drone. But I mean that in the best. Open parentheses. Enthusiastic praise. Close parentheses. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree, I agree, and I think it's, it is this, I mean, uh, like the concept of the inner beauty pageant is, you know, from Dead mm-hmm. Ringers. The, you know, the zipper is this idea of like, uh, you know, the stomach wound in in Videodrome. The, I think the big difference is the explicit focus on plastics. Yes. Yes. So, Videodrome, Videodrome is is about kind of, and in some ways, the non physicality of media. Right, it it's a broadcast signal mm-hmm. that get, that gets inside you and kind of rewires you. The permeability of the screen, whereas this is about like how do we like? Because I suppose a good question is what do you, what is the crime that's being referred to here? So. So, in the attempt to, to divide humanity into epochs, it has always been difficult and an ideological project. But I, we're in the Plasticine now. Like our our current era is defined by the creation of plastics. If if we do manage to destroy human civilization in such a way that there is no recovery, the evidence left of us a hundred million years in the future will be a layer of plastics in the geologic record, and nothing else. You know, like like some ancient alien archaeologists will be like, huh, that's weird. When we dig through this thing, there are some fossils and then this layer of horrifying poison. <laughs> and I, I think that that almost like, like the crime of the future, I think, is open to interpretation. But like part of what we do here on the show is kind of like anti-temporal discourse to kind of reject the standard flow of time when looking at things and like. Oh dear God, is what we're doing right now one of the most horrendous crimes that humanity could have ever been capable of. And it will only be realized at a future moment. Because right now we're just talking about bad weather that's killing millions of people a year. In in the future, it's going to get worse. Yeah, I think this is this is the point, right? The crime is ours. Mm-hmm. Like this is the whole question of the film is can we live? And not just live, but kind of like, I would argue, can we can we thrive in the aftermath of the crime? Right? Is oh, like, oh, is oh, yeah. It, yeah. is that is that a is that a possibility? Um, I mean, I, I I completely agree. Like one of the things I kept thinking of while watching this movie is you, we we have we have such a neophyte's understanding of restorative justice in our contemporary moment. Just because materially it's it's impossible, almost impossible materially to create social structures necessary for that type of healing work. What does it even look like to do that through generational time? 
we're, we're, we're set for a, a year 2050, if we're lucky, where it's literally too hot for healthy people to go outside because it will kill you instantly. Like, that's not even considerable, right? Like, that's not even... What, what, what does it look like to, to do right by that? Not only now, but in the future <laughs> when those crimes are happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yay! This is a hopeful movie. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I will. I, I am gonna quite firmly argue that it is. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna have fun with that. We're gonna have fun with that one. But before we... we have fun with that one, sorry, uh, go on, go on, go on. I, I was, I was gonna say, uh, this is not the first crimes of the future, and we'd be remiss to leave that out of the formalism zone. Uh, yes, uh, a long time ago, 1970, there is another Crimes of the Future, uh, written and directed by David Cronenberg. It, according to Cronenberg himself, has nothing to do with this one. Um, but you can't, you can't help but notice it. Um, what You're wrong, do you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about this connection? I mean, so one... Whenever an artist says something about their art, that all that does is add to the body of the text of that art. That just gives us another thing to analyze, right? That doesn't create truth or, or pen and meaning. You know, that, that just gives the critic more stuff to deal with, which is fun for me. So I like that. And for this, like, obviously they're related. You, you, you use the same name again. You know, you can't, you can't delink those two things, right? That that is just functionally not possible for an artist to like. What 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 if Tolkien wrote another book called The Lord of the Rings, but it had nothing to do with Lord of the Rings? Question mark. Like I, I don't know. We we can't really we can't play that game. So for me, it becomes like okay. Well, what does this mean to have some kind of like? To, it, it obviously has a connection to the original Crimes of the Future, but that connection is meant to be broken. It's something that that Cronenberg himself struggled against and didn't want to fuse and it, i think it just winds up reverberating with the name because the original crimes of the future which which i haven't seen and you have shares a lot of thematic tones to this with, with this film even if it has a completely unrelated plot and a different setting sort of but in a way like aren't both the meditations very similar about these kind of like human civilization on the brink of collapse, these new medical technologies, society dwindling and withering and what we do about that. Wait, what are yeah. some of your thoughts? Yeah, there's a kind of like interest in the early Cronenberg uh, with this uh, political psychopharmacopoeia. So uh, there's a lot of pharmaceuticals in like films he did in the very early 70s when he's still kind of cutting his teeth in some ways. Um and I, I think it's interesting that the shift has moved from the pharma pharmacopia to the technological, which effectively is serving a similar kind of function to the uh to the plasticine, right? Mm -hmm. Which is also, in a sense, serving a similar kind of function. There is this idea of like how does how does the world imprint upon the body? as like a key question and mm -hmm. how and thus that makes the body a site of not just struggle outward to become something but a site of political struggle in and of itself 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think another like great piece of lineage and piece of linkage to, to the greater Cronenberg career here is the presence of like multiple CRT TVs. Right. Old school cathode ray tube televisions are all over crimes of the future. And this is something that I found to be really, really interesting about this film, because there's there, there's so many different ways. That, and I think this will bridge us into the discourse zone. But we're kind of in a moment where the only there are really only two kinds of maybe three kinds of people who want or own cathode ray tube televisions. And that's uh, people who want to game on old school gaming systems and who don't want to, you know, like they want the old school experience. People who want to watch VHS with the old school experience or artists. Because you can do interesting stuff with a cathode ray tube television. Those oh, CRTs. so you would you would be in the third group. <laughs> yeah, I would I would be in the third group of weirdos, also overlapping with the VHS group of weirdos. Oh, and the, <laughs> and the gamers, I imagine. I mean, I mean, I, I game so much less than I used to, but I I I would want that. <laughs> but I think that this is this is interesting, right? Because like, for me, this raises a discursive question about this film. Are the people that we're looking at in this movie, does does Viggo Mortensen and his performance artist assistants represent the kind of popular dregs of the world? Is this just what people are in, in, in this era, right? Is, is society somehow just like this? Or are we looking at high-end artists, people who have the money and the resources and the time to to devote their lives to to weirdo performance art and own a bunch of like bespoke vintage equipment. And I think that that that, that becomes an interesting kind of metatextual question for the film. That's a that's a really really good point. And this idea of like how do you you know, you, cuz you you're kind of implicating the director, right? Or mm-hmm. in, in implicate actually even implicating cinema. And and you know, Cronenberg was making film films on like eight millimeter on like borrowed cameras back in 1968, and now he's making them in his very own warehouse in Canada with, you know, twenty or thirty million dollars of somebody else's money. And to what extent is, yeah, to what extent is that a kind of privileged position or a position that not everyone has access to? And to what extent is I guess I guess really the question you're kind of circling around is to what extent is the condition of being being an artist a universal one that all should have access to or one that's mediated mm-hmm. te- technologically and really the cool thing about the film is that it suggests that the answer is kind of both yeah but yeah, this this I think is really interesting too I'm really like glad you brought up the question of like Cronenberg the artist because the 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 TV VCR combo is something that like has come to define Cronenberg as an aesthetic, right? Like is all over his most successful movie. Videodrome is literally about CRT television sets and their VA, VCR counterparts. Like like it is definitionally about those two items, those two pieces of technology, and how they both exist as part of our embodied experience and they mediate that experience. But now, now we're decades later. Now, now the CRT and the VCR uh, have changed meanings entirely. The the VCR isn't. There was a brief moment in time where the VCR was a goofy piece of technology that you could pick up for next to nothing at your local thrift and or charity shop. 
and VC VHS tapes also worthless. You 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 bought them for nostalgia or to preserve old media. Now now they're all sought after collectors pieces. Right? Now that now they've metastasized into their own sub-markets and their own economies and their own systems and I think Cronenberg the 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 very artistic medium of Cronenberg, his nostalgias and his interests also got get swept up into that. So if you're an aspiring filmmaker and you watch this, like I, d- I just bought a Super 8 camera and some reels of Super 8 for uh, an upcoming project I've got, and oh my god, that stuff is not cheap. It is it is that that used to be the like, hey, do you have literally no money and you want to film home movies or try and make a film yourself there, Bucko? Get some get some eight mil, but now it's like, geez, Louise, it, it would be it would it would have just been cheaper to film on my iPhone. Like the iPhone is that new thing, so it's interesting to see. I mean, like how irrespective of one's own desires, that the kind of material conditions of the passage of time reshape our memory. Blah. <laughs> be- no, beautifully put. Beautifully put. Free two-minute rant on on retro and analog media, everyone. Thank you. Uh, moving moving us onward, uh, shall we all talk about HorrorVanguard.com, Patreon.com slash HorrorVanguard, where you, uh, for less than the cup of coffee a month or for less than some new organs, uh, can support the new organ that is the show. You know, what are what are we, if not a new organ for thinking that you can engage with temporarily plug into this shared uh, uh, radio wave broadcasted psychogenic organ temporarily every week and engage with us? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. This this is just some thoughts. It would be nice. Your help makes this uh, makes our rock and world go round. What a great plug. What a great plug. (laughs) Yeah, please do. Please do support the show. It it it. It, this takes this takes a lot of this takes time and effort. We love doing it, um, and your help allows us to keep doing it. Um, and now, should we talk about how basically everyone wants to be inside Viggo Mortensen? The Lord of the Rings connection resurfaces. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, for people who've not seen it, this film follows the uh, follows follows a performance artist called Saul Tensor played by the uh honestly one of my one of my favorite actors Viggo Mortensen uh and a huge swathe of this film is basically people wanting to do quote unquote surgery to him uh ev- everybody wants to push something inside him that's all i'm going to say <laughs> as as you should expect with a cronenberg movie not only does it raise all of these metatextual questions about the very nature of art, technology, and the interaction with the human subject, it's very—it's weirdly, very deeply horny. <laughs> yes, literally the entire plot of this movie is people arguing over what kind of organs they can put inside Viggo Mortensen's character. <laughs> that's that's the whole plot. Which I mean, like that in and of itself is deeply relevant to our current political condition. What with LGBT rights being assaulted in the United States and the UK, and more broadly, so so th- no, this is th- this is a very this is actually a very very serious point that the film addresses directly, and I think mm-hmm. in such a way that we shouldn't. I think sometimes sometimes when when we try and consider the kind of thematic or theoretical or political valence of a given textual object, we have this habit that often artists fall into as well 
of separating out those things, right? Unweaving the thread, as it were, mm-hmm. and going, oh, this is a film that's about X. And I, what I really admire about Cronenberg is that he he never resolves things into this easy didacticism and just goes, yeah, yeah it, this is about how all of these things are bound up with one another. Um, and I think a really good example of this is some of those CRT monitors, right? What one of them one of them displays very prominently um, at one point is the phrase "body is reality." Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think about that statement? Well, Cronenberg certainly has taken a side in mind-body dualism, but um, <laughs> but so no, I, I think I think more 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 like more concretely, right? Like, what is outside of the body? Whether whether or not you believe in a soul or life after death, or you're a mind-body dualist, in, as as we are alive, there really isn't much going on outside of our flesh, and everything that happens outside of our flesh also happens in our flesh. Like the 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 new flesh is the real, right? Like that that was one of the most hard hitting moments of the movie for me was seeing that on that CRT monitor, and really considering outside of, outside of some like tired and lazy solips- solipsism, or like like these kind of like vapid philosophy one hundred and one exercises, you know, like what what does it mean for there to be real outside of the body, and not again like not in some kind of like oh other are other people real? Are we living in the matrix? like just just tired roganian discourse but like yeah the other kind of the other kind of discourse is because you easily fall into is like the um all too common uh super transphobic discourse right yes yes yes, yes, yes. oh well it's just you can't change reality and like the entire point of this film is that bodies are essentially acts of transformation um you know to to live is to be an artist because the greatest and kind of frightening and beautiful and terrible and and uh, erotic act of like becoming something rather than simply being something um, is w- one that I think this film explores in a really, honestly, in a really kind of beautiful way. Oh, totally agree. Yep. Um, I it's so true. Yeah, and I mean, like, just another note on that, like, this and every Cronenberg movie is just about how mutable the body is. Yeah, a hundred percent. The body, like, the body is real kind of as a totalizing statement embodies, embodies its counterpoint with the body is not real. And, and yeah, really, and really this, this is like, the body is reality, but reality is incredibly unstable. Yes, and you yes, can yes, if yes. you That's want exactly to. That's exactly the point if, that I if was you, going If for you it. choose to, that we are constantly. You could, yeah, you could, you can, you can remake it, right? Oh, totally, totally. The, the The context of the flesh is something that we kind of mutually shape as as interconnected people. We're organs of the greater society, and that flesh is also mutable. TRDR fuck transphobes is is the segment of the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> Yes, uh, uh, you put it. You we could have just we could we should have just led with that. <laughs> <laughs> so moving 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 onward to the world of performance art. Uh, Caprice and Saul Tensa describe what they do as a kind of performance art, and I am I'm very curious to know what you th- what you thought about that. This this I think is really 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 interesting. I think performance art gets a bad rap popularly, right? 
because when we start talking about performance art, we immediately bring up these kind of like mimetic and oversimplified oversimplified discourses of people doing really weird things in public. But I think we're living in the heyday of performance art and performance art is deeply, deeply about the body and the body in context, right? And the body in context being viewed is essentially what performance art is. And we, we live in, we live in a moment where like, what's one of the most, what's arguably the single most popular piece of entertainment today, new entertainment anyway, it's Twitch streamers. And you're not watching a Twitch streamer for the game that they're playing, you know, it's, it's not about enjoying the game. It's about enjoying the performance of the Twitch streamer. Nobody, nobody's, nobody's watching for like the game as a thing in and of itself. You're watching for the person, for their personality, for how they interact with other bodies. And this could, this only gets louder when we start, when we take a step away from like the, the kind of like video gaming or the ludic origins of the Twitch streamer and move into more contemporary streaming spaces where people are out in the world doing like doing like 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 awful like kindness influencing and like wrapping other people's bodies into things with pranks and you know like twisting their own bodies in interesting ways with like mukbang and weirder things like what are what are some of your thoughts on on the kind of performance elements of this film I mean I think it's super interesting that you bring up Twitch streamers who also <laughs> s- s- sit in their chairs racked yes. with incredible back pain because they've been uh yelling about something for the last 12 hours without really moving um mm-hmm. yeah to, to me there are some echoes here of um something like interior scroll um uh by carolee schneeman like arguably one of the most famous performance artists of the 70s uh and this this idea of like the body as not just a surface but an interior space um and obviously the kind of other big thing is this is you could tie this to kind of uh butlerian notions of performativity right especially when you consider uh the 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 kind of queer coding and the ways in which the body is this mutable space that's kind of remade and refashioned um so i think there's something kind of like there's something kind of glorious about it because i think this connects to the question of new vice uh, and the big political problem that Tensor and people like Tensor cause is their ability to spontaneously generate new organs. Um, and the problem for the state is, does that mean that you're technically no longer human in a way? And it just underscores really explicitly that this film is arguing that this this obsession with purity, this obsession with the kind of rigid mm-hmm. definitions of what the body is and what human subjectivity is, is uh, not only deeply uh, homophobic, queerphobic, transphobic, but it's kind of like fascistic. It's and ultimately about a a fascist exercise of political power. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, again, to, to look at what's happening to, to queer people in the United States and the UK right now, like we don't have to wait until people are like magically sprouting plastic digestive systems for, for this to begin happening. Like the what is the human is defined by our relationship to the technologies that we have and create. 
And that will always, by definition, change what the body is on a conceptual level. And that becomes a site of social struggle, right? Like, especially as people fight to win back their rights and as fascists and people on the right use that as a cudgel to try and break working class power. There's a good, <laughs> there's a really good moment in this, which I, I thought showed a huge amount of kind of like self-awareness from Cronenberg. Can we talk about the ear dancer? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the ear dancer. Uh, what a, what a, <laughs> what a great scene. Um, and it's, it's this idea of like, so Tensor goes to this art performance where we see, <laughs> where we see the, the ear dancer, um, who is in, it's in all of the, um, all of the trailers and everything. Uh, I'm trying to find, there's an, there's a, there's a quote that's used. Uh, <laughs> yeah, someone's watching, watching him, uh, watching the ear dancer, um, and they say, the extra ears don't even work. Mm. They don't even work. <laughs> don't tell him I said this, but he's better that he's better with the dancing. So because this this dancer who's who's played by a, an actual contemporary dancer is covered in extra ears. Their eyes have been shown sewn shut, their lips have been sewn shut, and they're covered in these extra ears. But somebody says, the ears don't even work. And it's a really it's a really kind of funny moment that actually what this film is concerned with is like not the external changes of uh, of the body solely in and of themselves as aesthetic questions but explicitly as political and social questions right the, the point is uh art is l- is lived mhm oh absolutely i love this and and that the the ear dancer too like it's interesting. It's interesting that that was kind of like one of the hinge points in in this movie because we're also living through a moment where like body modification is more accessible than ever. Whether we're talking about the common tattoo or stuff that's way more extreme than that. Um, but uh, oh, wait, what's the guy's name? Professor Stellark, I think, the Australian guy who added an ear to his forearm. Um, oh, and I yeah, do, yeah. I do believe there's a mic there at some point there was a microphone inside of that ear so it could like pick up audio signals. So it was a quote unquote functioning ear attached to his arm. And I really, really, really liked how this movie kind of, kind of used, used it's like, I guess one of its nearest real world analogs for, for the moment where it was talking about like kind of like 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 really 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 Cronenberg taking a moment to like pull pull his own art apart yeah absolutely absolutely you kind of go oh, it's maybe a, in the trailer you kind of go ah oh, is this a bit much and then you go oh no he's like he's he he knows he knows what he's doing and especially because like you know if this is if we accept this as in in, in connection to what's happened already in our world right the, the ad, adding bonus ears would be so played out by the time we reach crimes of the future levels of body modification. Like, like that would have been like, oh, okay, he's adding ears. All right, moving on. Um, yeah, I and you know this is why the 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 new vice and organ registry bureaucrats are so interesting, right? Because they're interested in this question of not just an outward kind of aesthetic choice, but the very real possibility that the notion of what it means to be human could become something new and therefore out of their control. 
Mm-hmm. And just like just just like anything, the system the system is self sustaining. Any any new site, any new place of emergence or interactions automatically becomes a place of contested legislation because that's also a place of contested capital extraction. And are we going to extract money from the situation by creating new businesses to serve it and extracting it that way? Or are we going to extract money from it by criminalizing it and inserting the people who participate therein into the carceral system? You know, that's that's, that's kind of the, the way that this has to collapse in all situations. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it would become something that where it's like, oh, we found an additional site of rent that we can extract. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. One, one million hundred thousand percent. I think there's something that we should talk about here, which is uh, the link towards chronic illness mm-hmm. um, and and disability. Because um, Tensa clearly spends a lot of this film in a lot of pain. Like unable to eat needs mm-hmm. um, needs specifically designed assistive technology um, has a lot of uh, experiences a loss of agency in some ways. Um, what and what do you what do you think about that? So this this, this I find to be really interesting. So the movie one of the first things we learned about the world of crimes of the future in the movie is that people no longer experience pain. Pain pain is done. Uh, and people also no longer experience infection, which we'll get we'll get into in just a bit. But I found the pain thing to be really interesting because clearly people still experience pain. Tensor Tensor is unable to eat regular food without this massive, massive prosthetic apparatus. He can't even sleep w- w- without this extremely complicated device, right? It, and he's he's clearly in great deals of pain caused by these things. Uh, so pain, pain is clearly still in this world. We we watch a man attempt to eat one of the plastic bars, die in great agony, um, and then there's there, there's levels of emotional pain too. People are still under like great emotional suffering, and I think it just it just goes to show how discourses around pain are are deeply individualized in, in our current social and political context right pain pain is something that happens inside of you according to like the hegemonic narrative you have to manage your chronic pain you know the things that hurt you right like it's it's meant to be pulled inward rather than i think what this movie is kind of calling us to do and that's that's see how the pain is scaffolded by the world around us yeah there's this great scene where they have a conversation with uh, a detective who is ironically enough just called cope <laughs> <laughs> um where he cope says i have a lump on my a- abdomen you see it picasso duchamp francis bacon perhaps am i an artist um, and basically, I think it's Caprice who turns around and says, you know, the things that happened, or paraphrasing, says that the things that happened to Tencent, like he takes control over them, right? And finds kind of uh, beauty in it, mm-hmm. uh, which is extremely powerful. And like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't talk about this a great deal, but I, I very, I found this very kind of personally very moving because I have a medical condition um, called an AVM in my right thigh. Which means instead of the vein and artery uh, that connects uh, one bit of my body to the rest growing separately, they grew intertwined and formed these very large, painful knots. Um, mm-hmm. 
the way that they're treated is that you inject extremely powerful chemicals into them to kind of block the connections. Um, and it's sort sort of like, oh, uh, is this is this a kind of art form? Or and and in many ways, it's sort of like people who uh, the way that I think about it, and I'm sure people listening who kind of have maybe different things that they live with think about it, is that you basically watch your body do things almost spontaneously. You become sort of a passenger. And so mm-hmm. this idea of like, can you can you find ways of uh, investing your own relationship with yourself with a kind of meaning? And it comes through dissolving that unnecessary binary between the body and the mind. Um, you know what is it? What is it that Capri says to cope right at the end? She says, "Oh, you should get that looked at." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you should turn it into something that people can see. You can turn it. You should turn it into an literally an exhibition. I'm like, yeah, there is a kind of artistry to it. It's you know, there's something within all of us where where the body can do things that are astonishingly generative and creative and terrifying and often deeply painful. Um, but what 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 else what else is that if not a kind of art? Oh, absolutely. I think, and I think that's that's so powerful too, because I think, and this is something that probably the majority of people listening to this show will be able to connect with. But the idea of the body as the uninvited guest, that that extra person you have to take with you everywhere you go, that is your flesh. And I think what this movie is kind of charging us with, it's not the kind of neoliberal, individuated, you know, you should do something about that, but you should get that looked at is has a political context why can't you get that looked at would be a question in in our lived experience but i think for tensor for the people in this world like it's not it's not about like being uh, being as an individual turning your suffering into something productive for capital it's about networking right like it's about being part of this weird art community (laughs) yeah yeah, this idea that like actually, this is not a hierarchized network, right? If mm-hmm. if this is if this is as the as the film seems to suggest, one of the kind of fundamental natures of hu- of human being, uh, this idea that we are always just kind of becoming things, like there's there's great solidarity, there's great kind of like comfort in that, where we go actually this this kind of idealized vision of the body as being something like coherent and and discreet and unchanging is the ideological thing that we have to get beyond when we realize our 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 interconnected contingency that is coupled with and meets the dialectical force of our own kind of creative urge to become and remake and refashion ourselves there is something i think there is a kind of there is a sort of ground of 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 solidarity in that oh absolutely ab absolutely i i mean like what what, what is what is the the old phrase the old, the old saying ability and disability is the only opt-in oppressed group it's the, only, it's the only one that you eventually will become part of right your your body will at some point whether through time or accident break and then you will lose parts of yourself in the process right yeah yeah, yeah, but but the kind of the amazing thing is like you could f- you could find something too. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't need to, it becomes a site of intense and rapid change mixed in with political struggle. If, if there is a source of pain in crimes of the future, it's in this political oppression that holds people back based on the status of their bodies. Um, yeah. Uh, this idea that actually... And also, there is a kind of pain in the fact that like becoming something else is, 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 is terrifying. Oh, yeah. Be- because it means... At, at, like, for Tensor, on an endocrine, on an endocrine level... On, on a cellular level, like you become something else. Um, and I think that it, that is, that is, you know, that is artistic and incredible and something intriguing and, but it's also painful and horrifying. Um, and I mean, yeah, like, like so, so, so much of the pain that we watch Tensor go through is him trying to force himself into the body that the hegemonic force of the world that he's in needs and wants him to be in. Right, he is not the body that he keeps presenting himself as. He is this other body that he's resisting. We're we're really like like this is a very interesting Cronenberg movie, and in that it's I, I think very 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 psychological. All Cronenberg movies are, but this one I think like so much of the kind of like locus of the activity here is the mind of Tensor and what he's going through on a psychic level. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is, we, we've gotten a little heavy. We've gotten a little heavy for a bit here with some of this discourse. Shall we lighten things up by making a bunch of sex jokes? Uh, I think we should. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's have an epiphany. Let's let's talk about, you know, how much we want to cut up Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, okay. The, if, even if you haven't seen this movie, you're, you're listening to a horror movie podcast, so no doubt you've maybe seen the trailer for this or some of the taglines. Surgery is the new sex. One of one of the big trailer lines in the movie, one of the standout statements. What what do we make of this? Uh, well, I mean, we can we can think of it as again, you can think of it in kind of positive and negative senses, right? You can think of it as like, oh, it's about an anhedonic future in which genuine human intimacy has like vanished but it's like again it's it is it is getting it is getting inside someone and that changes you um Mm -hmm. and it's an act of astonishing kind of vulnerability and quite literal openness um uh that is is it's is filmed in a way that's that the they're framed like sex scenes yeah uh it's so much so to the point that like when we have the 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 two weird so, sort of side characters who are obsessed with Tensor's bed, um, and mm-hmm. keep and just keep getting naked in it. It doesn't come off as like sexy. It comes off as like slightly silly and slightly goofy. Yeah, but like the stuff with um, Kristen Stewart, who is I think great in this. Oh, absolutely. She's she's like she's so kind of twitchy and neurotic and and like so intensely libidinally tightly wound uh and her kind of responses while watching the first tensor performance is just so good i've, um, I've never seen someone make kind of all-consuming neurotic anxiety so sexually active <laughs> right uh as i said it's this is this is a this is this is not just a very kind of politically engaged movie and and a very sort of weird and unsettling film uh it's it's a very horny movie as well oh deeply deeply 
and I, I really appreciate. So we get this one scene that I really liked, and it's. Um, I think I think it is. It was Kristen Stewart's character that's coming on to Tensor, and and she tries to initiate the old sex, and and Tensor is kind of repulsed, and he kind of like recoils, and his line is, "Oh, I'm I'm no good at the old sex," and, and I think like there's like a really freeing like libidinal discourse within this movie right that doesn't want to like i mean like this is this is hollywood we're talking about this is cinema you know there 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 is nothing that generates the kind of like patrocentricity of sexual desire quite the way that hollywood has manufactured over the last hundred or so years and this movie is just throwing a massive gear or massive wrench into those gears this movie is like oh you want you want eroticism, you want sexual, you want penetrative sexual desire. I'll give you penetrative sexual oh. desire. Oh, yeah. I mean, whom's among us does not want to kind of pag Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's, that's one of the points that this movie is making too. Right. Because like, again, like we're not, we've, we've got the RoboCop problem. Like Cronenberg isn't forsaging some, some future far away. We're, we're living in a point where, new new we're living in a point where we have teledildonics right you yep. could you could go to whatever website you feel like right now order like any app-based controlled sex toy and have fun with someone half a world away like we're we're living in the vigo mortensen future yeah um yeah the there is this idea that like and also you see it everywhere there's like the scene where tensor and caprice are in the in the in the podcaster bed, uh, and <laughs> like he idly just kind of like cuts her. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there's the scene where uh, she fillets his like zipper stomach wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is a sentence I just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're respected and, academics. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about like zipper fellation. Um, <laughs> like there, there are these moments where like he's walking down the streets and he'll see just like, uh, like someone cutting into the person they're making out with in the street. Mm-hmm. So there, there absolutely, yeah. Surgery is the new sex, but like something that you mentioned before we started, uh, recording is like, none of this sex seems like it's particularly satisfying. Yeah, nobody nobody seems to be enjoying besides Kristen Stewart, right? Like her, her her character seems to be enjoying what's going on, but like everyone else seems like either overly overly intellectual about what's happening around them, or or somehow libidinally disconnected from it. And and I feel that so much of that is like like look at Tensor's character, right? Like Tensor. Is is experiencing a, a catastrophic level of psychic dysmorphic detachment from his flesh, right? Like like his relationship with his body is incredibly pained throughout this movie. It's not really much of a surprise to me that his libidinal connection to his flesh has been somewhat severed. Yeah, but this isn't necessarily the same thing as like an absence of the erotic. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Mostly because I think the erotic depend in in this film anyway depends upon the impossibility of its fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. It remains some this this thing that could happen, right? But and and that's the the point at which the tension kind of builds from. 
All right, well, listeners, we had a, we had a little technical problem. Uh, the XLR cable that I plug into the base of my spine in order to uh, cybernetically interface with this external ear that I use to communicate with all of you disconnected. Uh, and then I had to call over a team of people who tried to drill into my head, but I managed to convince them to drill into the external ear instead. <laughs> and now we're back. We're back. We're back, baby. We're back. Let's have... I was about to say let's have some of the new sex, but I don't think that's an appropriate transition. Uh, well, uh, you were talking You were talking about this, this relationship between sex and pleasure, between sex and happiness. Yes. And I think that's one of the things about this movie that I find to be really interesting is that it kind of decouples sex from happiness. Uh, like I was saying, Hollywood is kind of one of one of the like it's like this cursed like orgone generator for for patriarchal sexual desires right and and this movie this movie is really subverting all of those tropes it's subverting all those classic depictions and those ideas to see like Viggo Mortensen a man who's aged very well recoil from traditional lovemaking with Kestu someone who is also a 10 like this movie is very clearly engaged with the semiotics of eroticism, especially on the silver screen. Mm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because uh, even when you have new sex, that sex can still be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like, like, and the people who are enjoying it too. Like, does Viggo Mortensen enjoy the new sex? for some kind of libidinal value placed on the sex itself or is the enjoyment the performance or is there even a distinction between those two ninth dimensional voyeurism discourse coming from cronenberg today <laughs> but um uh do you do you have anything else to add about the the, the kind of eroticism of this film um no i think we've covered quite a lot actually yeah, I think the, the only other thing I would add is that like eroticism and sexual desire is is a like everything that is human a technologically mediated thing. How we become erotic, what it means to become erotic, and and how those desires are fulfilled are like definitionally wound up in whatever technologies we have available. And this movie's having a lot of fun with that space. Yeah, absolutely. Um. It's also oh go on go on, go no, on. no 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 what were you gonna say <laughs> I was I was gonna say it's also having fun with discussions of the COVID nineteen pandemic <laughs> yes uh, we're post infections that's what the film says we are post infection mm. and uh, what do you think that means so this this I think is really interesting right because the kind of obvious thing maybe this is the obvious thing the first thing that came to me was that like we are post covid right now in quotes that's the phrase that's used in in massive quotes here we're we're after covid but we're not covid still goes around we 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 have no idea what quote unquote long covid really even looks like for people yet you know like we only know a short term understanding of quote unquote long covid right where we're just beginning to get clearer understandings of like the kind of damage that losing your taste from an infection does to the human. And and we're only going to start to piece this one together for like, it's going to take a long time. It's going to be decades before we've really unpacked what this pandemic has done. 
Not to mention the fact that it's still you can still get COVID. It's still out there. It hasn't gone away. Everyone's just stopped reporting, so we have no idea what infection numbers are like right now. Hmm. We've just we've just accepted it as endemic instead of pandemic. So we are post-pandemic, but we're not post-COVID. And I think that this movie ha- has a really fun, a really interesting, I should say, discussion with that because they're post-infection in this world. They're post-infection and post-pain. And that's why everyone can cut each other up in the streets and do all these weird experimental surgeries and walk around with all these open wounds because it doesn't, it doesn't do anything to you anymore. You know, the risk is gone. So, so you can explore it from a different angle, right? But like, I think the thing that's, that's really interesting is like, we're, we already live like we're post-infection because we're forced to, we already, I was thinking, I was thinking recently about meatpacking workers, right? People who work in meat processing facilities, you know, like, and, and kind of like, there's a, there's a rich and kind of, there's a random point, but there's a really rich history of labor folk songs from America about developing carpal tunnel. Mm. Um, and, uh, there, there's one that's about typing and secretarial work. There's another one that's about, uh, someone who works in a meat processing facility and like their, their pain is real, but we live like we're post pain, especially here in the United States, right? Like if you have something that hurts you, good fucking luck getting that taken care of. Here's some opioids. That's, that's, that's it. That's everything. There's no actual, there's not a serious attempt to unpack what pain is, to understand it, to make it really dealt with, to fix the underlying causes of pain. You know, like, and, and how many, how many TikTok reels do we need to see of, of some octogenarian pushing carts at a Walmart? You know, like we're already living like we're post to these things, but it's not from the kind of like euphoric biogenesis and crimes of the future. It's from those very crimes. Yeah. Uh, a, a a a phenomenal way of putting it. A phenomenal way of putting it. Oh, thank you. Well, should we finish this up with the question that we've been kind of dancing around, which is like, is this optimistic? Is this a hopeful film about humanity or not? I I have such a complicated f- feeling towards this because I don't I don't think the answer is either. I don't think this is a this isn't the cinema of despair. And this is also not a very hopeful movie. I I think this is like a weirdly, it's almost like this, this messed up accelerationist daydream of the status of the human body under like this, this dwindling and withering capitalist world. And it's just, it's kind of in, in a way it's asking us to, to just do something whether that's something is to to actually live or, or to understand your body again or to work with other people to change it like like so the, the end of the movie right tensor through, throughout the film we realize that the source and tensor realizes that the source of his constant suffering and pain and he realizes this through meeting a radical uh essentially like a radical rights group they're people fighting for their rights as humans with different organs which uh, there's no immediate political context there that I can think of. And like their new organs allow them to digest plastics, right? They, they literally digest the refuse of the world that we've created. Uh, Tensor is part of them, but he doesn't know it. He, he's, he's one of them, but he buys into kind of the hegemonic worldview that he should excise these organs and trying to keep his body the old way. And in the end, he eats a, a plastic bar and he starts crying because he, he's, he's not in pain while eating for the first time in his life or something. And I think that that it's it's both it would be hopeful if it wasn't for the fact that 
the, the the kind of you know the new vice right the governmental structure of the world that we're in would wants him dead now he's now an enemy of the state because of the status of his body his body is illegal his body is now criminal and so his his momentary relief opens up this kind of this new horizon of struggle i, I don't know what, what, what it's very complicated for me I'm not, I'm not quite done working my way through it yet what are, what are some of your ideas yeah, I, I think a lot of this comes down to the idea of Prometheanism, which is like, what what is the human capable of? And Cronenberg's mm-hmm. whole point is actually the body can do things without conscious involvement. Bodies act in certain ways. And he, he poses this kind of like, I think he gets quite excited about this idea, right? That actually maybe at a certain point, what we mean by being human would become something so radically different that in some ways we would cease being human at all. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it, it is not, it is not a kind of optimistic film, but there is a hope to it. But the good thing about it is like the very best of horror cinema. It doesn't buy its hope on the cheap yet. Yes. He be in a sense, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily just change, but he requires new political consciousness that alters his own self-perception of what the body always already was, mm-hmm. right? It already was this site of political struggle. It already was this this th- yes. thing that was becoming illegal. Like, it, 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 you know, he already was in danger of being murdered by the state for, for, for things which are this kind of like... This, this act of creative differential ontology, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, yes, the, the, it's, there's, a, there's a bleakness to it, but I think there is an inescapable hope. And, in, it, and to kind of push things a little bit further, maybe even like an inescapable revolutionary kind of note that this ends on. I think I'll agree with that. I, I think there, there is a... The, the the kind of uh, flower of utopia, if if you will, will bloom no matter what happens. It, it just depends on what world it gets to bloom into, and and can it be sustained, right? And if there is something hopeful to the end of this, it, it's that now he can correlate his context, right? Now now that he's overcome this kind of dysmorphic pain that he was feeling, he he can he now has the ability, the energy, the psychic strength to awaken to these new political frontiers, you know, to, to, to see his natural kinship with these, with this other group of people with, again, I can't think of a single political context that this is relevant to United States slash turf Island. Um, like people, people with new kinds of bodies, uh, waking up to political unities with each other, uh, material oppressions that are striated by, by some kind of like old class group. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I've never heard of it. (laughs) I'm a, I'm a film critic. Don't, don't listen to me about politics. I'm here to tell you if movies are good or not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so in conclusion, we give David Cronenberg's crimes of the future, a (laughs) (laughs) 7.5. Yeah, this is a seven point five out of ten. Um, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it three and a half stars. I wanted more Cronenberg references. I wanted more nods. You know, I wanted to see the handgun. I wanted to see the VCR Rossi. I wanted to see all of these things <laughs> that we associate with the Cronenbergiverse. Right? <laughs> what What is gonna happen? See, I want Disney needs to buy Cronenberg so we can get X Men versus Cronenberg. 
right? Because then I can get my my bio my biogenic nightmare Wolverine VHS monster claws. I don't even I don't even know where I'm, I, I can't I can't even parody this shit anymore because I guarantee you somebody's written that already. <laughs> yeah, uh, seven point five. Uh, no end credit scene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, three and a half stars. <laughs> We're gonna end it there. We're gonna end it there. Uh, give, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.